sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Grid Radio Network. Oh, yeah, it's that time. Welcome in to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Over the course of the next hour, we get to pick mid-major Matt's brain. Matt Josephs, he's going to talk MLB K-Props. We're going to talk some college football. We're going to sprinkle in some NFL discussion as well. Really looking forward to uh, having Matt Josephs tell us which pitchers we should be betting on and which against what college football research he's done already. Should be an interesting and informative hour. But before we get into Matt Josephs, I want to talk about something that happened this week. And I'm not going to name the book. All right, it was one of the books in the global marketplace. And it's not just uh, uh, global marketplace books that you can find the type of props I'm talking about. You can find them all across uh, the legalized, regulated sports betting markets here in the U.S. But at this time of the year, you're seeing books be a little bit more aggressive with some of the props that they're putting up. And uh, the book, again, I'm not going to name the book. But they went through a whole bunch. They had a whole bunch of good numbers, you know. Will Deshaun Watson be suspended? <coughs> excuse me, before the season, the yes minus four hundred. The total number of games are going to be suspended. Which rookie quarterback is going to start the most games this year? Uh, who's the Falcons' starting quarterback going to be in Week One? Who's the Panthers' starting quarterback in Week One? You know, Atlanta. The Mariota's minus five hundred. Ritter's plus three hundred. The Sam Darnold minus four hundred. Matt Corral plus two fifty for. Uh, uh, Carolina, and again, these are the openers for starting week one for Seattle. Geno Smith was the favorite over uh, Drew, uh, Drew Locke. I saw numbers for Jimmy Garoppolo and what his team is going to be week one with the Texans, Lions, Panthers all being the favorites in that regard. Uh, if he leaves San Francisco, Baker Mayfield's team in week one, you know, all kinds of different props that were being offered Four betters. And you go through and you desire nothing, nothing. Is there something here? Nothing, nothing. One of the props, not all of them, not most of them, one of them stood out as a bad number to me. They put up two props about the Pittsburgh Steelers. One was who will start more games for the Steelers in 2022. And again, you know, we're talking about significant juice on these props, minus 120 both ways. Just like the props I was talking about a few moments ago were all, you know, the minus 400 plus 250. The house has taken a nice cut <laughs> out of these props. But which quarterback's going to start more games for the Steelers in 2022? Trubisky and Pickett, again, minus 120 each way. And that is a legitimate pickup. But they also put up a number who's the Steelers' starting quarterback in week one? And that's prices to pick them as well. So out of all of those numbers, you go through all of the numbers, you're like, bang, that's the bad number. Because even if Pickett's going to start more games than Trubisky this year, Trubisky's going in as a starting QB. And I know that Mike Tomlin isn't going to say that. The quotes, in fact, the market's moved a little bit on Tomlin's quote saying, we're going to have a QB competition, an open QB competition. Anyone can win it. And of course, Tom is going to say, what's he going to say? No, Trubisky's the guy. 
He's not saying that. That's not the goal. The goal is to maximize production out of both of those guys or maximize effort and energy and uh, all of that. Light a little fire under Trubisky. Give Pickett a a chance to do something positive here uh, in the preseason. But the reality is that, number one, the Steelers' way is not to go with the rookie QB week one. It's just not. Did Roethlisberger start his rookie year? Yeah, sure he did. I know it was Bill Cowher. But was he the starting quarterback week one? Of course he wasn't. Tommy Maddox was the starting quarterback, and Tommy Maddox got hurt in week two, and that's what allowed Ben Roethlisberger to become uh, a household name uh, in his first year in the NFL because the Steelers ended up going up 15-1 and one, uh, that season. Uh, all right, so <laughs> clearly... But again, we're talking about something that's, what, almost 20 years ago now. So you don't say, all right, different head coach, it's not the same scenario. I get that. I do. But when you talk about the Steelers' way, this isn't the type of organization that is likely to take a rookie QB and say, yeah, yeah, we're just going to throw him out there and see what you can do. Pittsburgh, while they're lined as the last place team in the AFC North, we all remember Tomlin's never had a losing record as a head coach. The Steelers aren't going into this season saying, hey, we're going to, this is a rebuilding year. We're going to play for next year. We've seen none of that from Pittsburgh. Everything we're seeing, quote wise, from the Steelers is we expect to win this season. And then you look at what the scenario is for week one itself. Pittsburgh's going to be going on the road, facing the Cincinnati Bengals, the defending AFC champs, a team with a pretty darn good defense. If you're a head coach, and it's even, all right, the competition is 100% even at the end of training camp, are you going to start the veteran or are you going to start the rookie against the defending AFC champs on the road? Again, I got to think it's Trubisky week one. And at a pick price, it's a no-brainer. You bet it. And you bet it fast because <laughs> I talked about this on one of the shows I do earlier in the week. Boom. It's gone in 24 hours. I'm not the only one that saw it. Books are going to put out a whole bunch of props right now. whole bunch of football props. And most of them are going to be spot on. But there's no question. There's money to be made right now for savvy bettors. If you can go through those props and find one or two mistakes and get your bets down before the preseason even starts. Major Matt coming up next when coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And I always enjoy uh, when I get to bring in Matt Joseph. Matt, I haven't had him on the show, and it feels like forever. Uh, but here, especially in the summer months, I want Matt on talking K-props because this guy absolutely knows how to beat. And he's specialized in a particular market, and I'm telling you guys, he's good. He's going to give us, uh, we're going to pick his brain. For K-Props and MLB, we're going to talk some college football. We'll even touch on some NFL. Matt Josephs, at MinMajorMatt on Twitter. Welcome to the program. How are you today? Always a pleasure to join you, Teddy, and uh, hopefully we'll give out some uh, good information to the listeners. 
Sure, we'll do our best. And I mean, you do a ton of work uh, for Sports Grid. You work on Wager Talk TV. Uh, tell folks out there about the shows uh, that you want to promote, because obviously you're a guy that uh, has quite the presence here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. Yeah, I'm on In Game Live uh, every Sunday from uh, 2 until 6. It's either uh, me and Joe Ranieri or me and Dobbs Zanderson, and we kind of take you through and give you some live bets and things like that and kind of give you the, the sense of what's coming up at night. Of course, the uh, the big events are kind of dwindling away. No more NBA Finals. Uh, the Stanley Cup is not exactly my forte, but we give you as much information as we can to uh, help you win. And then uh, on Wager Talk TV, you know, I make appearances on Wager Talk Today. I make appearances on First Pitch. We do a show on Fridays called Prop It Up, which is basically um, any sort of props in any sports that you can possibly bet on. And this time of year, a lot of the props, you know, people looking at golf, people looking at auto racing, people looking at tennis uh, matchups. Is that any stuff that you uh, work on yourself, or are you primarily, when it comes to prop, uh, the, you know, the major sports in baseball, football, and basketball? Yeah, pretty much it's the major sports. Uh, you know, I would love to be a guy who could dabble in hockey a little bit. I mean, I do a little bit of the NBA. It's not necessarily my specialty sport, but I do watch a lot of the games. So I figure, and I play some DFS as well. And as I've always said, you know, doing DFS and betting on props is a lot of the same stuff because you're only going to put the guys in your DFS lineups um, that will be successful. And so why not correlate those with some bets if you see them out in the market? Sure, that makes perfect sense. And, I mean, you're a props expert, legitimately, as opposed to a guy that focuses more on sides and totals. Explain why you've developed that part of your betting repertoire uh, and and what edges you have betting props uh, as opposed to uh, uh, sides and totals. Well, I mean, I, what I've kind of done, and it's funny because it, it's happened more since the pandemic, is I've realized in, in gambling, at least how I want to attack it, is I want to isolate the variables and reduce as many as I can. When you bet a side or a total, you basically need every player almost on both teams to kind of help you out. But if you take a prop, let's say a player prop, you know, a K prop, you want that pitcher against that one lineup. The other half inning, you don't even care what happens. The other team could score 15 runs, and it does nothing for you. So I'm all about trying to reduce the amount of variables that I can, and if I can go down to one batter against one pitcher or one pitcher against one lineup, I'm all about that. So it's really kind of isolating things and kind of taking away a lot of the extraneous stuff. Now, how does that work for other sports? Because certainly in baseball, when we're talking about K-props, it makes perfect sense. You've got this pitcher and you're handicapping this pitcher against this lineup. But when you're talking about the NBA postseason or you're talking about uh, football props, um, even though you're highlighting an individual player, it's still both teams have to be involved in getting that individual player to stay over or under uh, that, uh, whether it's points, rebounds, assists, whether it's yardage for quarterbacks, I mean, whatever uh, type of props we're looking at. Um, so talk about that for a minute, uh, Matt, when it comes to the not the baseball, but football and basketball props with the thought process of you're trying to eliminate more variables. Well, you can kind of get a figure with regards to football. Like, you know, I watch, obviously, as an Eagles fan, I watch a lot of Eagles games, and I noticed that they last year played a kind of like a bubble-like defense almost and didn't get beat deep. Well, you could take advantage of that by going to, you know, longest reception unders, longest pass completion unders. Um, and then, like in basketball, you know that, you know, opposing centers against Joel Embiid, they, they struggle a little bit getting rebounds. Embiid's a big guy getting rebounds, so maybe you look at a rebounding under for the opposition 
here. So it's all about trying to find this certain matchups. And once again, it goes back to DFS because there's certain teams on a given NFL Sunday, you want to attack the, the running backs. You want to attack the tight ends. Arizona for years has not been able to cover the tight ends with the defensive structure that they used to have. So you would go and find a way to get that tight end in your DFS lineup and likewise get him into your props uh, market. Have the betting markets ever caught up with Justin Tucker? Like, there was like a year that I spent every, like, the only bet I would make with Justin Tucker field goal over. Uh, <laughs> longest field goal over for Baltimore. <laughs> is that still any good, or is that one of those that's, uh, that's coming down? And obviously, when we're talking about the prop marketplace, the value comes and goes. As players get hot uh, and get bet on every week, the markets certainly adjust. Uh, and the Justin Tucker was just a curiosity question. It's nothing I uh, prepped you for, but do you know how we did last year? Because I know I remember, like for years, I'd go. I was talking about the uh, for years that uh, Tucker over as long as field goal was like you know, just an auto bet every week. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's one of those guys that Baltimore has no problem settling for field goals. You know, like in the Super Bowl when he makes it, you know, you, they have that over amount of yards total. He was always good for that. It's him now. It's Young Hoo Koo because the Falcons settle for a lot of field goals. And that's something else you could kind of look at. I love kicker props. I mean, at, you know, on Friday on Prop It Up, the guys make fun of me because I always talk about kickers. But once again, it's a market that, look, the odds makers put a number up. But there's quite often where I feel like the number's off. And if I find something that I could take advantage of, they're not worried about kicker props as much as they're worried about sides and totals and, you know, Matt Ryan stats and quarterback running back stuff. So it's all about finding that little tiny niche every day as possible. Little edges over time. My good friend Dave Malinsky used to talk that that's the mantra for sports betting. And to this day, I can't think of a better mantra. Little edges over time. And this is uh, clearly uh, what Matt Josephs is talking about right here. Matt, I want you to talk about the database you're creating or, or you've created with Ariel Epstein when it comes to Major League Baseball strikeout props. Um, are there any mainstream stats out there for people that are looking at K-prop stats? Or is this something that you really can't find and you've managed to create something that is probably pretty useful. Well, I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if this is one of those things where you can go to some website and, they, and buy it and then you get the information. It's just, you know, over the years after doing all these K-props, and, it, you know, there's so many screens you have open. You look at a player page, an opponent page, an umpire page, a weather page, all this stuff. It got, it got, kind, of, it got kind of tedious to look on all these pages. So I basically decide, I'm like, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to list all the pitchers. I'm going to list it in a spreadsheet. You know, innings pitched, uh, right-handed strikeouts, left-handed strikeouts, and then what the number was and whether or not they went over or under. Uh, we also put some notes in in terms of if there's an open air starter, if there was a weather issue, if it was a guy coming off injuries. And it's just kind of trying to put all the information into one spot so that way I don't have as many tabs open on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. So does tracking this stuff by yourself give you a real edge? Because I know, you know, the database research, you can look at the hard numbers. It makes such a difference for a side and total perspective, and it helps you understand the long-term trends and where uh, things are moving and where the marketplace is moving. Is that the same story for these K-props? Does tracking this stuff by yourself uh, give you a legit edge? I think so. I did not realize as much as I did now looking at it that strikeouts are contagious. The Dodgers have gone over their K-prop 10 straight times. 
Uh, and it's something that they've done quite a bit. And whereas there are teams that are currently on some under trends. And so when you're striking out a lot, it seems to carry over a bunch of games. And when you're not striking out a lot, that also seems to carry over a lot of games. So it's really kind of showing me the streakiness of a play like this and where the books are trying to set the numbers and what numbers are getting beat more than others. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of giving me a graphic form to kind of take a look at something like this. And, you know, you talk about the Dodgers going over their K-Prop uh, for uh, 10 games uh, in a row. Stuff like that really stands out to me as a better who's always like, it's about current form, not about full season stats. And MLB is at or near the top of the list when it comes to, I don't care what you did back in April, and I don't even care what you did back in May right now. Uh, current form, current streaks hold sway for making MLB profitable wagers at this time of the year. We've got so much more coming with Mid-Major Maddie. I'm going to get him to name me some guys. I need some pitchers we want to be betting on, be betting against in these K-Props. Teams we want to be betting on and against. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're on your TV, we're on your radio, we're on your phone. Go to Twitter and give us a follow, at SportsGrid, at TV, and stay on the grid everywhere you go. You can follow me on Twitter, at Teddy underscore covers, and of course you can follow Matt Josephs on Twitter, at MidMajorMatt, a guy who got to start dominating the mid-majors in college basketball but it's not college basketball season it's baseball season right now and we're talking k props strikeout props with matt joseph matt we talked about the concepts in segment one right here let's talk about guys that we want to be highlighting when it comes to pitchers right now maybe a couple of guys you're targeting for unders in k props maybe a couple of guys you're targeting for overs in k props give me some pitchers our listening audience can bet on or against with these strikeout props moving forward. So I think a part of it is, for, for me at least, I mean, there's a guy, I can mention one guy for each of them, but the, the part of the thing that's, that's a problem, at least for this market, is the numbers change uh, every start, depending upon who they're facing and depending upon the, the circumstances, whether they're coming off of injuries and things like that. I'm more, when I look at this stuff, it, 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 I look more at like the numbers in terms of I'm in the, in the area of the three and a half and the four and a half over in that, um, you know, there's the five and a half, the six and a half, the seven and a half and, and so on and so forth upwards that I really don't like staying in that market. And it's the same case. I feel like with every sport, you know, I, I learned from one of our, our friends, Andy Lang, you know, the, the Giannis points, rebounds, and assist prop always was set really high because they know that people are just going to bet the over. They think, oh, Giannis is having 35, 10, and 5. Well, that's only 50, and if the PRA is 54, it doesn't go over. Uh, and there's always this tax that comes with the, the pitchers that are in the ace part of this market, too. Shohei Otani. You know, Shohei Otani regularly gets 6.5 and 7.5. 
He doesn't always go over that, but yet the common person who doesn't necessarily study these things just blindly bets the over because they feel like Shohei Otani's always striking guys out. So for me, it's more of a, a situational-based thing. I do like Cookie Carrasco uh, with the Mets. The books always seem to shade him just a little bit lower, and he's starting to return to the form that he was with the then Cleveland Indians. Uh, so he's a guy I, I like betting the over. One of the guys, and, uh, and I talked about this with you on Wager Talk today one time, was Jordan Montgomery. And Jordan Montgomery is a guy that the books for the longest time set five and a half. And he would struggle to get there. He would get to four. He would get to five. And the reason why they struggle with this guy is the Yankees take him out early. They want to, A, preserve his arm, and, B, they don't love him in certain situations the third time through the lineup. So it took the book a bunch of times to realize that because he'd have you know great situations. He'd face the Orioles or, or somebody else, and he'd only get the five strikeouts, and yet they would set high numbers for him. So it's really about finding situations finding pitchers who are on a pitch count. There are certain pitchers who get yanked a little early. There are certain pitchers who get yanked a little later, and they give them the opportunity to kind of get out of jams. So it's all about kind of looking at current form more than just attaching yourself to a pitcher and just kind of riding his number. So just to be clear, Montgomery is a guy who, you know, you talked, you said did one for each. Carrasco for the Mets is a guy we're, in general, looking to play over on his K-prop. Montgomery for the Yankees, because he's not lasting deep in the game, is someone looking to play under? Correct, yeah. And, and once again, though, this is a situation where it's not every time. Because if Carrasco starts dipping into the six and a half, seven and a half, that's when I start getting worried. Now, the other thing, too, is with regards to Montgomery, is A, the books have gotten better at putting his number out, and B, he's starting to go deeper in games. His last couple starts, he went, went over six innings a bunch of times. So as you talk about, we make our moves, the book makes their adjustments, so now it's on us to make the adjustments once again. So Jordan Montgomery was a very profitable guy. Now it's like, hey, let's see what his number is, and B, be a little bit careful depending upon what it is. Strong analysis from Matt Joseph. Matt, let's talk about the teams as opposed to the pitchers because certainly there are teams that are more prone to strike out. Other teams that don't strike out very much. The Cleveland Guardians stand out in that regard. It's a team that doesn't strike out very much. Meanwhile, like the Angels and the Braves and the Diamondbacks all lead MLB in Ks. Um, are the the books make significant adjustments for one lineup versus a different lineup when it comes to these K props? And if they do, who are we looking to be betting on? Uh, which teams are we looking to bet over K props against, and which teams are we looking to bet under against? So the Guardians you bring up are fascinating. They have gone under in forty of their fifty-five. Uh, total line K props. And the reason why I call it that is because there's some times where they'll face a pitcher who's new and the book doesn't put a number out or they face an opener and that, and that doesn't come out. So it's not going to line up per se with regards to what, how many games they've actually played. Also, they, uh, I'll give you the end of May, the beginning of June, they had seven, uh, six straight two and a half and three and a half, which is very rare in this, in the K prop industry. And guess what? They actually went under in four of those. They are averaging 3.84 strikeouts against starting pitchers. Now, remember, this is only starting pitchers. I, I'm not tracking the relievers. I'm not tracking any of that stuff. So once the starting pitcher leaves, I don't really care. So 3.84 strikeouts total against starting pitchers in either righty and lefty, which is very impressive in baseball nowadays. Although the irony is they went over their K-prop all three times at, in course Field, which was very funny because course Field is notoriously <laughs> a place where you don't strike out a lot. 
Um, but they went over it, and uh, so that was kind of interesting. You mentioned Arizona on the other side. Arizona has gone over their K-Prop number 36 of 59 games, and once again, the numbers don't match up because of openers and things like that. They are averaging 5.27 strikeouts overall against right-handed starting pitchers. You don't get a lot of four-and-a-halves against them. So this is a team that, once again, you're kind of picking and choosing your situations, uh, whether or not you want to dip in there. The Dodgers, who I said have gone over 10 straight times, they actually have had a lot of three-and-a-halves because their number is 4.516 against starting pitching so far this season, but 10 straight times they've gone over. I mean, they've had a lot of five strikeout games here. And the classic case of, and this is something we talked about on Prop It Up uh, on Friday, that, you know, this is one of the things you're going to keep playing, but you adjust your unit size. So I'm not going to say it's an auto bet at whatever X amount of units. I'm going to say, all right, I don't like this one as much, but the trend is telling me that it's very live. So let me reduce my unit size to one or even a half or whatever. I'm going to keep playing the trend, but I'm also going to reduce the unit size because if it doesn't hit, it's not as big of a hit. So when we look at the Guardians, the D-backs, and the Dodgers, the three teams that you just highlighted, the Guardians, the team that doesn't strike out much, the D-backs, the team that strikes out a ton, and the Dodgers, the team that's in the midst of a big run of strikeout overs, what do we get from these three teams in particular moving forward? Do you think that the mar- have the markets adjusted on Cleveland enough? Are we starting to see that 40 and 15 you know, this is one of these scenarios that I'm not convinced anybody knows about this. So I'm not convinced that it's one of these trends that people are paying attention to. I'm not convinced that the markets are adjusting the right way they should. Similar story with uh, Arizona, similar story with L.A. So moving forward from this day, do you think you're going to continue these K-Props cash on or against these three specific teams? Well, we'll see. So the the Guardians, as I said, with the 40 and 15, we'll see if maybe now they're in a little spurt where they do strike out more. Because as I talked about in the first segment, it is a little bit contagious. And they had, and then as I said, they went over all three times in Coors Field. So... Um, we'll see if it's a little brief spurt where they go and they strike out a bunch and we kind of stay away a little bit, or it's just a blip on the radar. They had one bad series and they go back to being really good. And it's funny because, you know, they faced some recent uh, aces and you've only gotten a five and a half, like Frankie Montas of, of Oakland. You know, he gets a lot of six and a half, some seven and a half, depending upon the opponent. He only got five and a half in this game against the Guardians and he only had two strikeouts in six innings. So five and a half may be the highest you see. Whereas when you look at the Dodgers over this current stretch, the majority of them are three and a half, which, and, and, and there's been some poor pitchers. Reed Detmers went over the three and a half. Uh, Eunice went over the three and a half. Cueto went over the three. Trevor Williams of the Mets went over a three and a half. So that kind of tells you that when you see a three and a half potentially against the Dodgers and it's somebody you don't like necessarily, it may go over. Zach Plesak is going on Friday night. Zach Plesak is not exactly a strikeout pitcher, but he's a guy you're still going to potentially play against the Dodgers because right now they're getting five strikeouts against pretty much everybody. Didn't he, didn't Detmer throw a no hitter already this year? He's not a good pitcher. He had he had one good game. He did, but I also believe uh, he didn't have many strikeouts in that game. And that's the big difference with, once again, if you're a person who doesn't follow K-Props, you see the guy throws a no-hitter, you're like, oh, this guy's going to strike everybody out. But that's not necessarily the case, which is why you have to dig deeper into the numbers. He only had two strikeouts in that game against the Rays, who are another team that strikes out a lot. 
So uh, we, we've gone through a pretty good discussion here in terms of K-props, in terms of why we're focusing on props, in terms of pitchers to highlight, in terms of teams to highlight. We've got about, what, a minute, a minute and a half before the break. Anything else you want to bring up for MLB, or is it time for us to shift our focus to football? I'll say the last thing here is the other props that I like to dabble with occasionally are the outs prop, how long a pitcher lasts. I think certain teams, you know, Oakland is one of these teams that starting pitchers are going deep in games with. And the under on the earned runs. Um, I think that's another prop. The irony is you go back to that game on uh, Thursday night when Patrick Corbin faces the Phillies. He gives up eight or nine runs. Only two of them were earned. If you took the under two and a half, you actually won the bet because all the runs after the error were unearned. So those are two other markets you could kind of dabble in a little bit and take a look if you want to, once again, isolate just the pitcher against a certain lineup, it's kind of fun to watch a game and say, all right, we need this guy to stay in for 21 batters, or no, we need you to you know, leave after 16 batters and things like that. Yeah, that's a tough beat. If you've got the uh, over two and a half there and your pitcher gives up eight runs, but only two of them are earned. And of course, he's not going to get a chance to go back out there to give up more runs. He just gave up eight runs the last inning and gets pulled. So uh, <laughs> K-props uh, and other props, they can offer bad beats just like any other type of sports betting. We've got so much coming with Matt Jones. We're going to talk about college football, win totals, the process. We're going to talk about some early NFL thoughts. Football on deck. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It's as hot as Vegas in June right now because I'm in Vegas and it's June, man. It's scorching out there here in Las Vegas. Hope you're a little bit cooler wherever you are across the country and across the sports grid radio dial. We're talking with Matt Josephs today, talking MLB K-Props. Now we're going to shift our focus to some football. And Matt, you're a guy that does a ton of work over the summer when it comes to college football. You're focusing on win totals. And I know last year you absolutely crushed the college football win total marketplace. That's why I wanted you on here, because we're in the time of year where, yeah, there's some numbers up, but it's not what I would call a mature marketplace yet. You can find books offering some variance, and if you have opinions in college football, you can bet them right now at numbers you're not going to see a month from now when the markets catch up with the reality. So uh, talk to me about college football win totals, why this is a prop that you like to focus on. Well, I mean, you know, it kind of goes along with the whole mid-major thing, the uh, the non-power five thing, and that, you know, there's, uh, you know, 100 and whatever it is, 30 teams, 120 teams, whatever it is. The books can't get everybody right. And so, and so, like, if you look at the, you know, every team like I do, I think there's a lot of people that do college football who kind of say, all right, I'm just going to focus in on the ACC, the, you know, Big Ten, the Big 12, the big conferences. I'm going to try and find my angles. And I'm looking at my list for last year. I had a couple. I I did three power five teams. 
But I think mostly the angles that I find are the smaller schools. And, you know, like last year, I loved Western Kentucky. And the reason why I loved Western Kentucky was they basically took all of Houston Baptist's offense. And ironically, the year before, I was all over Houston Baptist's FCS games. Bailey Zappi was really good. The system that they ran, they played no defense, but their offense was pretty good. So I knew a lot about Western Kentucky, where I think a lot of people who are the odds makers are like, well, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know anything about Houston Baptist. So uh, they hung a low number. It was my biggest play of them all. And they went over by, uh, it was like five and a half. They had like eight, nine, ten wins last year. So it was one of my biggest plays. And I think every year, at least, there's at least one of those teams that the books are way off on. So when it comes to your process in college football, how do you start? I mean, I'm sure we have listeners out there right now who want to do the college football work, but they don't really know what to do, what to look for, what to highlight, what to, what, which facts matter the most, and which ones are just static and noise and aren't going to help you at all with the handicapping process. So talk to me about the process, how you're looking. I mean, you, talk, you gave a great example of Western Kentucky last year, and that's about as easy an overbet as you're ever going to cash. Um, and we'll talk about Washington State in a few minutes when it comes to Western Kentucky <laughs> because there are similarities between the two, uh, Western Kentucky for last year and Washington State for this year. Uh, but talk about the process of what you're looking at, how you're getting the information, where you're digging it up, and what betters can do in June and July before the camps open in August. So it's a little different for me in terms of because I write for Athlon Sports and they have me. I write an article on every single conference, every single win total. So I kind of start my process now. And what I kind of do, and it's going to sound a little funny, but I mean, there's a little bit of logic to it. So the Athlon Magazine is out now. And, I, I, you know, I'm going to pick mine up, and I'm going to start doing my research on each individual team, and I'm going to play the schedules out in my head. And I'm going to write down win-loss for everybody. But this, the thing that you have to do is you have to look at situations. You know, if an October 13th game is sandwiched in between two top 25 schools, you might put a loss in. So I kind of go through all the schedules, uh, reading my Athlon magazine and everything, and I put win-losses down for everybody. And if there's any games I think are toss-ups, I'll put a half up just to kind of say, all right, you know, this is a game that they can win, but they can also lose, so I'll give them a half. And then after I do my first run-through, I compare it to the numbers. I don't even want to look at the win total numbers that are put out until after I do my numbers because I don't want them to get influenced. If I look and see something beforehand and then all of a sudden I do my research, I don't want to let that number influence me at all. Um, so that'll be the first run-through. And then I kind of take a break for a week or two. I get away from it. I don't look at any sort of college football. Maybe that's the time I jump to the NFL because then I kind of want to refresh everything. And then by then, usually, the other magazine, the, the magazine of the gods, it comes out, Phil Steele, and I rerun through everything again, and I kind of go over all the information he has and everything. So, And, you know, it's funny. This is going to sound weird to some people. Looking at a schedule in one magazine and then looking at a schedule in a different magazine, sometimes you see things a little bit differently. It's the font or it's the way it's listed and everything like that. So sometimes I'll make small adjustments to my win totals, and then after I do all that stuff, I will compare it to what's out there. Anything that's about one or one and a half, two difference, that's obviously going to be a play for me. If there's anything that's like a 
half. Like if the number's five and a half and I think it's six, I'll go back and relook at everything and kind of say, all right, well, look, there's three or four toss-ups here. So I'm, I'm going to, if I adjust the toss-ups, what happens to the win total that I come up with? So if it's really close, I probably won't end up playing it unless I have a hunch. Um, but that's kind of the process. And then also, you know, since I do a little FCS stuff, I know that maybe not every FCS game that everybody plays is going to be a guaranteed victory for the FBS team. So you kind of have to throw that in there by doing a little FCS research as well. Sure. We've seen Florida State be on the wrong end of a couple of FCS losses in recent years that, uh, that stand out for sure. Now, you're doing work on every team at the end. How many bets do you make? Are you making, uh, you know, there's 130 college football teams. Is this the kind of deal where uh, you're going to come up with five bets, with 10 bets, with 20 bets uh, over the course of the summer doing that work? Uh, how much does it produce in terms of bettable opinions? Well, I'll say this. Last year, I went 7-0-1. So I had eight win total bets, and I had um, five conference futures. Um, I had two in the MAC, which um, one I played early when I saw a team, how many returning starters, and then one I played closer to August uh, when everything started uh, firing up. And luckily, the, the better of the two, the better odds of the two was the one that won. So um, basically, I mean, I'm not going to limit myself, but I'm also not going to stress my bankroll completely before the season even begins. Because remember, especially if you make the bet in July, you're carrying it over. It's not like when your team wins, the, it goes over their total. You don't get paid right then. You have to wait till the end of the season because, of course, there's always the caveat of if there's an 11 game schedule and um, uh, you know stuff like that. And by the way, here's the other thing. This is the tip I think people don't necessarily realize. Hawaii always plays 13 games. So you yep. get an extra bite at the apple when it comes to Hawaii's team total. And I don't think necessarily people notice that. Also this year, I believe James Madison only has 11 games on their schedule, so you get one less bite at the apple. And remember, they're now a Sunbelt team, so there's going to be an FBS total. So that's something to certainly consider, that everybody gets 12 except for Hawaii and right now James Madison. So I, I mentioned Washington State before as a team that stands out as someone that in some ways has similarities to Western Kentucky last year, meaning they're importing an offense that already works. <laughs> uh, from uh, from elsewhere. Um, what teams are you looking at right now? Highlight. Can you give uh, our audience out there a team that maybe that you've uh, done some work on that you like, and a team that maybe you've done some work on that uh, you don't like so much? Well, so far, I'll give you two that I'm kind of looking at, and obviously it's because they're in my area, and I've already, you know, it's the slow time of uh, sports radio, so we've gone over their schedule, and we've uh, talked about it in June uh, before the camps fire up again, but I think Virginia and Virginia Tech are going to present some value to the over, and they each have their own questions. We'll start with Virginia. Virginia brings Brennan Armstrong back. Their offense is not going to be a problem. They've got a bunch of good wide receivers. They've got some good tight ends. Their offensive line could be a little bit shaky, but he's got at least some mobility to move around a a little bit. Their defense is going to be bad probably. But I have faith in Brennan Armstrong to kind of, you know, beat a lot of teams. And you look at their schedule, um, they open up with a couple of easier road games at Illinois, at Syracuse, at Duke. And they actually finish five of their last seven, including four straight at home. And they get Miami at home. And they get North Carolina at home. They get Pittsburgh at home. They get Coastal Carolina at home, which will be a fun game on November 19th. 
Um, Virginia, Virginia, I think, has the offense to win a lot of these games. They defend their home field very well. So it's one of these teams that I'm going to do a little bit more on some of their opponents and everything. i got to look more into Illinois. i got to look more into Coastal Carolina, other than Grayson McCall, what they've got. But I think there's a chance I might be on Virginia's over. And then I also look at Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech for the longest time, unfortunately, since Hendon Hooker left, they needed to get a quarterback, and they finally did, at least in my mind. They got Grant Wells from Marshall. Nobody has officially given him the job yet, but it looks like he's going to win the job. The guys that were already there weren't very good. They also brought over, I believe his name is Jason Brown from South Carolina. He wasn't very good from South Carolina. So if they do make Grant Wells the starting quarterback, they have kind of the inverse of Virginia. They have three of their first four at home. Uh, Boston College and Wofford and West Virginia uh, are those three home games. They play at Old Dominion, which there will be some revenge there because one of the last times they went there, they lost. Um, they do play Carolina and Pittsburgh on the road, so that's a little bit tough. But they play at Liberty, who's not as good. They play at Duke, who's not as good. They host Georgia Tech. They get Virginia at home. I think there's a chance that, once again, I think Virginia Tech could go over their number and surprise some people if they make Grant Wells their starting quarterback. And that's why I would potentially wait for something like that until once camp begins and we get the sense that they actually are going to have a legitimate quarterback this year. Now, those are two teams with first-year head coaches. Tony Elliott replacing Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia and Brent Pry replacing Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. With a first-year head coach, are you more inclined to play them over or are you like, hey, this guy's got a grace period right now? He might be doing some roster rebuilding, and obviously guys transfer out and other guys transfer in when you have a coaching change. Uh, first-year head coaches, in gen- is there a, in general for first-year head coaches uh, being uh, over or under when it comes to win totals, or is there nothing long-term to really uh, break down there? I think it's a situational type thing. I think it's, you know, sometimes if there's a assistant who was on the current staff and he got promoted to head coach, now that doesn't happen as much in college football. It happens more in college basketball. But, I mean, if there's somebody in-house or somebody who's very familiar with the staff, very familiar, they're not changing a lot, um, that's where you kind of say, okay, I'm, I'm going to um, take them like normal. This is where, and I know you're big on this, reading the quotes, reading the practice reports, asking the beat reporters, things like that about what's going on, this will be the little clues that will tell you whether or not over or under? Is this team struggling to install an offense? Is this team's defense looking really good early on? And how does that translate with um, with regards to the schedule they have? So I can't say it's a case. I think it's more of a case-by-case basis in terms of kind of saying, all right, this head coach is having a really good transition. This one's having a struggling transition. So we're going to kind of stay away early from that. Matt Joseph, you've given us a ton of info on today's podcast. You got one free play for the audience? And literally anything you want to talk about. I will give you, um, I think the Ravens win the division this year in football and the, and the uh, AFC North. I, I think the Ravens, I mean, are, are a better team. If they stay healthy, which they didn't do last year, uh, I think Lamar Jackson will take the next step. Now, I'm concerned about their lack of wide receivers, but we know the tight end position is always good for there. We know that their run game is always going to be good. And if uh, J.K. Dobbins can stay healthy, that's going to help things out a little bit, at least stay healthy throughout the whole season. We know he's not going to be completely healthy. I think the Ravens are the team that's going to go and win in that division because I think they're the best. I think the Bengals take a step back. I think the Steelers without a quarterback take a step back. And who knows what's going to happen with the Browns. Um, so give me the Ravens to win the AFC North. Matt Joseph, promote yourself. Where do people find you? You can find me at Mid-Major Matt. You can check out my work on, uh, on Sports Memo. You can see me on the Sports Grid. And you can read my work on Athlon Sports. 
Great stuff from Matt Josephs. Really appreciate your time today and really appreciate your insights. We'll talk again in the not too distant future. When we come back, yeah, I've got a bettable opinion or two for Saturday's MLB card. Stay tuned. Coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. If you missed any portion of today's program, if you want to go back and hear something we said twice, if you want to go back and listen at your convenience, if you want to go back and check the archive, download previous podcasts, it's real simple. Just search Cover It with Teddy Covers on any and all major podcast outlets. You can download and consume at your convenience. You can listen to today's show again. You can listen to tomorrow's show uh, with Art DeCesar uh, as well. And obviously, we've got every show that I've ever done archived. At wherever you download your podcast, just search Cover It with Teddy Covers. I'm going to give you a bettable opinion for today in MLB, and this is one I did not think too hard about. Real simple, in my opinion. We have one team that is hot. That is the San Diego Padres. We have one team that is not. That is the Colorado Rockies. Early numbers. What are we looking at? Padres minus 135, minus 140. At Coors Field in Colorado. I know these two teams split a series uh, at Petco last week, which means the Padres are interested. And all the Padres have done all year is just win on the road. The best start in franchise history. They have the best road record in baseball heading into the weekend at 24 and 11. They swept the Giants in San Francisco. They swept the Reds in Cincinnati. They swept the Cubs in Chicago. And it's worth noting that sweep in Chicago, the Cubs had leads multiple times. The Padres often just blew them off the field. Each of the last couple of nights, Colorado's having a rough time. They lost seven straight at Coors, five and fourteen. Their last nineteen at Coors. They headed into the weekend. The last twelve games, they scored more than five runs only once. So they're not hitting. Their bullpen's not good. The Padres are hitting. Their bullpen is good. I wouldn't price at San Diego with anything less than a two-dollar favorite in this game. I think we're getting a real bargain on the Padres, and that's the way it would look. You can take them straight up to win. You can take them on the run line, however you choose to bet it. Ride the hot and fade the cold. That's going to wrap it for Cover It with Teddy Covers this week. Again, we'll do it again tomorrow. Same time, same channel, right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. Enjoy the games, and good luck.